0: you open to Psalm 19. If you're using your phone or an iPad, that works. If you need a Bible, there's one in the chair racks in front of you. Grab a Bible. Join me in Psalm 19. We've been studying this passage really all summer long, and and we've got a few more weeks to go with it. I've been reading it to you almost weekly, and that's on purpose. I want these words to find a home in your heart. So here we go. Psalm 19, verse 1. And it's circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, this is where we'll be today. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them as your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart... Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now let's go back to verse 9 again. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord can be a very, very confusing idea for people. In fact, it can be so confusing that a lot of folks just kind of surrender in their study of it. Or they write it off as an Old Testament issue and they don't see any application of the fear of the Lord in New Testament Christianity. So a lot of people just run from it. They literally run from the idea of the fear of the Lord. But it doesn't have to be that way. This morning as we get into this, it is my hope that if you're somebody that has been confused, maybe you've had a lot of questions about the fear of the Lord and what it really is, it's my hope and my prayer that you will leave with answers. But more than answers, I hope you'll leave with peace. Because where people are confused and and at times upset about the fear of the Lord, the absence of peace leaves nothing but sheer terror. So I'm hoping that peace will come to rest on you as we go through this today. In fact, let's ask God for that. Father in heaven, we're going to get into some weighty, heady stuff this morning. It can be difficult for us to understand. So I pray that you'll lead the way. I pray that you'll guide us through this. I pray, Father, that you will help us see clearly what your word says about this. But I also pray that your spirit will speak clearly to us that we might have peace. For those that really have a lot of questions, I pray that they will question as we go through it, looking for answers. And for those that are in turmoil over this subject, I pray that there will be peace when we're done. I'm asking that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like we say, most people look at the fear of the Lord and believe that it is solely an Old Testament concept, and that is a mistake. It is truly a mistake, and I hope you don't fall into that trap. But as we get into it, it is necessary for us to begin our study of it in the Old Testament. We would be wrong to not. So let's do that. Let's take a look at what the Old Testament says about the fear of the Lord. And we're not going to look at all of it, not by any means, just some highlights that kind of get right to the point, starting with this passage from Proverbs 28, verse 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Now it would appear that we have a blessing and a warning attached to the fear of the Lord. You don't have to look very hard to see both. Here it is again. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. There's the blessing. And the warning right behind it. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. It seems pretty straightforward. If you understand a healthy fear of the Lord, there's a blessing that will come your way. If you harden your heart against it, calamity will come your way. It would appear that that's exactly what Scripture says. But We have other passages like this from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Now in this particular passage, you've got God coming right out of the chute saying, Look, I made everything around you. I created everything around you. Psalm 19 starts with that same type of teaching. My glory and my majesty are all around you. In essence, it's as if God is saying, I don't need you. You don't bring much to the table here. What kind of a place would you build for me? But look at what I built for you. Yet as we study the whole of Scripture, we may see that God doesn't need us in the realm of creation, but He desires a lot from us in relationship and fellowship. That's what we bring to the table. And God works very hard at making that happen. Did you pay close attention to this? But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Those who understand the fear of the Lord, God's eyes come to rest on them. God's eyes are watching them. That's who He's paying attention to. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and tremble at His Word. A good way of thinking about the fear of the Lord and that really captures it. It's our understanding of who God is and always keeping that in mind. We know who He is and and here's a revelation for you. There is only one God and you are not Him. The fear of the Lord keeps us ever mindful Of who God is. Here's a good way of thinking about that. Fear of the Lord is the result of understanding who God is. Knowing who we are and recognizing that no matter what we do, we cannot save ourselves. The fear of the Lord, if you put it in a a big pot, stir it all together, that's what's going to come out of it. I know who God is. I'm not Him. And no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. It is impossible. I need God. And the fear of the Lord keeps me ever mindful of that. Now that's some Old Testament teaching on this idea. It's really good. But here's something that takes it to a deeper level. I like what Psalm 111 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Chelsea, let's go back just one slide, and this will show you what that good understanding looks like. It would be insane to think that we can just stroll up to the creator of the universe and have a cavalier spirit. We are blind if we think we can do that without trembling. In today's culture and the world around us, We have made God so casual, cavalier as this theologian would say, that we approach Him without fear. We approach Him with no trembling whatsoever, which means we approach Him without wisdom. We approach Him with no knowledge whatsoever of who He is. And that's why the psalmist, in how he captures this idea, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, And he who knows that gains knowledge. That's why that's so important. So let's go looking for some wisdom. For that, we're going to get out of the Old Testament and go to the New. Because really, as much as the Old Testament talks about the fear of the Lord, the matter is settled in the New Testament. And I love the fact that it is. Because we can look in the Old Testament and find ourselves completely afraid of God. But we can take everything that we learn in the Old Testament, move into the New Testament, and see nothing but a love relationship with a God who would do anything to have relationship with us. In fact, we will see a God who has done everything to have relationship with us. And it all comes through studying the fear of the Lord from Old Testament to New, that we might get a complete picture. And in the New Testament, we discover a lot of great teaching about the fear of the Lord. Here's some places that you can go and look up. These are on the app. If you want to go under sermon notes, you can see these or you can take pictures as we go through it. We're not going to read all of these passages for the sake of time today, but just hit the high point. So here we go. The New Testament teaches us to fear the Lord through powerful teaching, like Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. At the very end of that, the writer of Hebrews will tell us that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. As He builds through the idea of the fear of the Lord, that's the pinnacle of it. Our God is a consuming fire. There's doctrinal teaching, like Romans chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. There the Apostle Paul will actually speak to most of the people in this room. Dare I say, most of the people here are Gentiles. We are not Jewish. We are Gentiles. And so in Romans chapter 11, as God talks about how we became grafted branches into His kingdom, He talks about how the Jews rejected Him. In the process of showing us how we find our way into relationship with Him, He shows us who He is as He shows us who they are too, or were as a people group. Then there's real personal teaching like number 3, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Take a look at this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Some translations of the Bible actually say, work out your own salvation with fear of trembling. I'm a much bigger fan of this. Now, you can find it. Here's the interesting thing. I just learned this after first service. If you're looking in print, if I had my Bible in front of us, I'm reading from an English standard version of the Bible. It would read just like this. But if you go online and you're reading the English standard version, the most recent translation of it, it would say fear of trembling, which is kind of interesting. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See how that becomes personal? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, in modern culture and modern Christianity, as we teach a relationship with God, we remove the fear and trembling side of that and just say, work out your own salvation by accepting God's love for you and you loving Him in return. That's how we would write the verse. That is not how the Bible says it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's very personal. Very personal. And we could take those passages and, and find ourselves in a place where we think, okay, the, the fear of the New Testament is the same as the, the fear of the Old Testament. How is this getting completed in the New Testament? Well, that happens through passages like this. I like it a lot. There is hope-filled teaching in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is just a big big biblical word that means God took our place. That's what propitiation means. Jesus took our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. He was the propitiation for our sins so that we could have relationship with God. Now if we take these last two verses, 1 John chapter 4 and Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and we put them together, understanding that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, that God did that for us, here's what we would discover. And this is a cool discovery. God is working overtime to have relationship with us. He sent His Son to die for us. And He is continually working to protect that relationship. And sometimes, listen to this my friends, sometimes that means He's working against you against your wishes, against your desires. Because your wishes and your desires left unbridled would take you out of that relationship with Him. So God is working overtime to keep that relationship solid. And sometimes He has to work against you. Here's the the best way I can illustrate this. And I, I really wrestled with how to illustrate it. So here you go. In August, Tina and I will have been married 34 years. 34 years. Thank you. It has been the greatest privilege of her life to be married to me. (laughs) Dare I say the greatest joy of her life to be married to me. So I want you to imagine after 34 years, Tina comes to me and she says, Phil, it's been the greatest privilege and joy of my life to be married to you and I want to continue to be married to you until death separates us. That's what I want more than anything else. But we got married pretty young and I'd like to, to see what else the world has to offer so I'd like to date some other people while remaining married to you. Here's my answer. No! What in the world? No! No! If her wishes, her desires, which by the way, those are not her wishes and desires. If her wishes and desires were left unbridled and I were to say yes and she could go do that, what would that do to our relationship? It would destroy it. Same thing happens with God where we say, God, it's been the greatest privilege and the greatest joy of my life to be in relationship with You, but I want to go out and date some other gods while still having relationship with You. God says, no! And He says it with a thundering voice because He means it. He's working overtime to keep us in relationship with Him because He loves us. That's the way that works. It's a beautiful way for it to work i like the way john piper says this god doesn't want us to cower like slaves in the household where the children should be enjoying sweet peace in their father's care if we can get to the point of perfect love we wouldn't fear god's rejection of us we would be really content in his acceptance so we can be done we should be done with a cowering fear that we might not be saved and enjoy our care and security in his house because God has worked over time to guard this relationship that I have with Him. And sometimes He's worked against my wishes and my desires. And He has, in a thundering voice, said, No! Because that wouldn't be good for you. That's certainly not in your best interest. So I'm not going to cower away from that. I'm going to lean into that type of love. Piper goes on to say, There is terror when outside of Christ. And a different kind of trembling when in Christ. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's wrath outside of Christ. Man, I wish I had said that. But I didn't. That is really good from Piper. There is terror when outside of Christ. And a different kind of trembling when in Christ. God's grace in Christ is the refuge from God's wrath outside of Christ. And that is so true. I know few places in the New Testament that teach the fear of the Lord better than Matthew 17. Why don't you turn there with me? We're going to read the first nine verses together. Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead." Boy, what an incredible experience that would be. Peter, James, and John on the mountain with Jesus where they got to hear the voice of God say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. But did you see what happened? When they heard that, did you see it? When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now that's the way it works. They saw Jesus for who He really was and God confirmed who He really was and that left them on their faces before God. The Bible says, and there's no way around this, the Bible says, terrified the fear of the Lord. I like how Max Lucado teaches on this. So let me just share this with you. Again, this is Max Lucado's teaching on this very passage. It's really good. So pay close attention, will you? Fire on the mountain led to fear on the mountain. A holy, healthy fear. Peter, James, and John experienced a fortifying terror, a stabilizing reference for the one and only God. They encountered the person who flung the stars into the sky like diamonds on velvet, who whisked prophets away in chariots and left Pharaoh bobbing in the Red Sea. The very sight of the glowing Galilean sucked all air and arrogance out of them leaving them appropriately prostrate, face first on the ground. They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid, verse 6 tells us. This is the fear of the Lord. Most of our fears are poisonous. They steal sleep and pillage peace. But this fear is different. From a biblical perspective, there is nothing neurotic about fearing God. The neurotic thing is not to be afraid or to be afraid of the wrong thing. That's why God chooses to be known to us, so that we may stop being afraid of the wrong thing. When God is fully revealed to us and we get it, then we experience the conversion of our fear. Fear of the Lord is the deeply sane recognition that we are not God. How long since you felt this fear? Since a fresh understanding of Christ buckled your knees and emptied your lungs? Since a glimpse of Him left you speechless and breathless? If it's been a while, that explains your fears. When Christ is great, our fears are not. As all of Jesus expands, fear of life diminish. A big God translates into big courage. A small view of God generates no courage. A limp, puny, fireless Jesus has no power over cancer cells, corruption, identity theft, stock market crashes, or global calamity. A stock market, or I'm sorry, a packageable, portable Jesus might fit well in a purse or on a shelf, but he does nothing for your fears. So that must be why Jesus took the disciples up the mountain. He saw the future that awaited them, the fireside denial of Peter, prisons of Jerusalem and Rome, the demands of the church and the persecutions of Nero. So Jesus took them up the mountain to show them a side of himself they would need. Rest easy in the words of God from that mountain. Those words? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus touched him and said, just rise up and have no fear. See what we see about the fear of the Lord in the New Testament? It can leave us face first on the ground, but as it does, it leaves us understanding that God is working as hard as He can over time to keep us in relationship with Him, in fellowship with Him, because that's what He desires most from us. It's a beautiful thing when we take the Old Testament fear of the Lord and we add New Testament Christianity to the fear of the Lord. We don't remove it. We just add to it this understanding of what God was willing to do to have relationship with us. Wow. Wow. And what He's willing to do in an ongoing relationship to protect it. That's amazing. Yet still we can take the Old Testament view of the fear of the Lord and even the New Testament view of the fear of the Lord and we can read them apart from one another and still find ourselves quite confused. And a lot of people do. When it comes to this idea of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that personal teaching, we miss the hope that follows it because we get stuck on the idea of being afraid of God rather than understanding what the fear of the Lord really is. So let's see if we can't make it practical. In the time that we have left, let's see if we can't make it make sense and hopefully clear up any confusion that goes with this. In the natural world, you have a fear mechanism that is given to you by God. And it has, in essence, as researchers have studied it, two purposes. Now say them with me. Fight or flight. That is the natural use of the natural mechanism of fear within us. When it gets released, when it gets enacted, if you will, then one of those two responses typically comes out. We are either going to fight against the enemy that stands in front of us or we are going to run away from it as fast as we possibly can. Fight or flight. But that's in the natural world. The fear of the Lord does not exist in the natural world. The fear of the Lord exists in the supernatural And I want to show you what that looks like. In order to do that, we're going to open our Bibles and let Jesus do some teaching for us in the Old Testament. Now, some of you that were listening critically might have just thought to yourself, Jesus is doing some teaching in the Old Testament. What's that now? Jesus does a lot of teaching in the Old Testament, if we'll just pay attention. So let's go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11. This is a passage written by the old prophet about the Messiah, about Jesus, who was to come. So he's writing this ahead of Jesus' birth. Hundreds of years ahead of Jesus' birth. Verse 1. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he see, his eye sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now let's go back, verse 2, speaking of Jesus, Isaiah says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Jesus will delight in his fear of the Lord. Now see how we're taking this just a bit deeper? But I want you to look at the supernatural side of it. Jesus will not fight against God in His fear. He will not flee from God in His fear. He will delight in His fear of the Lord. What an interesting way of looking at this. What an interesting way of looking at this. Because you see, supernatural fear of the Lord. Get outside the natural realm. Supernatural fear of the Lord. Draws us in. It draws us in. And it keeps us close in relationship with God because we delight in being in that relationship. We delight in knowing how hard God is working to protect that relationship. We delight in knowing how much God loved us and what He was willing to do and is doing on our behalf. So supernatural fear when it gets outside the natural realm, draws us in. Brings us closer. Where the natural fear, if all we do is remain at that level, is going to cause us to fight against God. Our own wishes and desires fighting against God. And God fighting against them. Or it causes us to run from Him. But for those that understand it, it draws us in. It draws us in. Because the fear of the Lord is is supernatural. It's at a whole other level. That's just awesome. It's at a whole other level. And that's even true in the supernatural realm. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11. Nehemiah is offering a prayer before God. Now I want you to listen to what he says. This is good. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is teaching that God pays close attention to his children that understand what it is to fear him. Answers prayers at a different level. Nehemiah is saying that not only about himself, but other servants that would follow. And we read about that earlier in the book of Isaiah, that God pays close attention, God pays close attention to those that fear Him. His eyes are on them. And you know why that is? Because people that understand the fear of the Lord are working just as hard at protecting the relationship as God is. And God says, yes, this is it. We're working together. This is perfect relationship and partnership we are working together to the same ends to guard what we have and the bible calls it the good deposit the fear of the lord <laughs> fear of the lord comes in understanding perfect love what the lord has done for us first john chapter 4 verse 18 says this there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. The fear of the Lord is shaped by the love of God and love for God. And it drives out the natural fear and replaces it with the supernatural that we might be able to say, I stand in this relationship with the God of the universe because He made it happen. And I don't want anything. I don't want anything To impact that. So I'll guard it with all I have. I'll guard it with everything I've got. I'll make the right decisions. Because I don't want anything to change or steal this relationship. That's the fear of the Lord. Let me leave you with a pretty good illustration. Preacher tells this. I'm not even sure who it is. I've just heard it a few times. I like it. The preacher went to visit somebody in his congregation, took his six-year-old son with him. When they pulled up in front of the house, they both got out of the car to walk up to the front door. And when they got out of the car, they were met by a, a pretty large dog. That dog stared eyeball to eyeball with the six-year-old boy. That's intimidating to anybody. Even the preacher was intimidated by the dog, just a big dog. But together they walked up to the front door and the man that they were going to visit opened up that door and greeted them with a big hearty greeting. And and while they were standing on the front porch, the preacher realized that he had left something in the car, so he asked his son to go back and get it. So the boy headed back to the car. And when he got down off the porch, the dog met him right there and started to walk beside him. And that was intimidating the boy and the boy started to walk a little faster. And the dog started to walk faster with him and the boy was just on the verge of running as the dog was growling right beside him. It was kind of a fierce growl. The man that they had gone to visit opened up the door and said, Son, maybe let's, let's not run. He doesn't like when people run away from him. And they walked to the car together and got what his dad had forgotten and the dog walked back with him. But as they were walking back, the boy put his arm around the neck of the dog. And they walk back up onto the porch together. The preacher said that he instantly realized that that's what it's like with God. It's the same thing. God doesn't like when people run away from Him and sometimes He growls a little bit to get our attention. But if we pay attention to it, He'll walk wherever we're going with us and He'll walk back again and we can put our arm around His neck as we do. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what it looks like. He may growl a little bit to get your attention. Pay attention. That's God saying, no. Put your arm around his neck. Walk with him. Walk with him. Why don't you stand and we'll pray together. Father in heaven, when we find things that are hard to understand in scripture, but we decide to dig into them, there's there's peace. Where there was confusion, there's peace. I'm so grateful for that. And I pray that there is peace for people that have wondered about this issue. I pray that there's peace for people that have never understood exactly what you have done for us. I pray that now they have. I pray their eyes are open to see that. And I pray, Father, that all of us will be reminded often of how hard you are working over time to guard our relationship with you. Help us see that and acknowledge that and never forget that. And Lord, I pray that we'll work just as hard, that nothing will steal what we have with you. Father, the next few moments in this auditorium are holy ones. I pray you'll use them. I pray that needs will be met. I pray that deep conversations will take place, spiritual conversations, that will glorify you and help us. So, Father, guard these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.